Hey, I wanted just to thank, um, last week we had our um, fall festival, and there was a lot of people here and a lot of y'all involved. I want to do in this service what I did in the first service. If you were involved in any way, shape, or form in the fall festival, would you just stand up real quick for me? Everybody that helped with the fall festival, just go ahead. Don't be, Look at all these folks. Yeah, thank y'all so much. Thank you so much, yeah. So it, it made a huge difference for all the people that helped behind the scenes the day of, and we had like 450 people here. And um, and, and the, another cool thing about that is, is some people will come to those kind of things that may not come you know, to a service, but they saw people that they knew and connected with them, and that's, that's just always a great opportunity. So thank you. Very much appreciative to Laura and all her leadership and, and planning and Stephanie, and I'm going to start naming names and forget people. So just thank you to everybody. How about that? Is that good? So it was, it was re- really, really a good night. Man, it was hot though, wasn't it? Golly. I was lifting those kids up and down off the slide. You know, I was working up a sweat. I slept good that night. But anyway, so I want to ask you all an interesting question today. How many promises do you think you've made to other people in your lifetime? Think about that for a minute. How many promises have you made to people in your lifetime? And I'm not, I'm not just talking about, you know, if you've been married and you're making that in the marriage vows. I'm talking about just any kind of promise. And if you know that number, which I would be surprised if any of us actually know the exact number of promises we've made to somebody or, or people in our lifetime, what is the breakdown or the percentage between the promises you've kept and the promises you've broken. Think about that for a minute. That's an interesting question, isn't it? <clears throat> and then on the other side of that coin, how many promises have other people made to you in your lifetime? There's probably been significant people in your life that have made promises to you in your lifetime. And then again, ask that same question. If you know the number, maybe you don't, but what would you guess was the percentage or the breakdown of people that have made promises to you in that either whether they kept them or whether they broke them. Now, I would be surprised if anyone knows the exact number of promises you've made or had made to you, but here's what I wouldn't be surprised about, that there are some promises you have kept and that I've kept that we are very, very thankful that we've kept. And because you've kept those promises, there's people in your life that are very thankful that you kept those promises too because it's made a difference in their life. And there are some promises others kept to you that you look back on and go, man, I'm so thankful that that person kept that promise. It has made a difference in my life. And there are promises that you and others did not keep that still affect you and still affect me in our lives. Think about that for a minute. Now, some of you may go, man, why would you bring up a question like that, Craig? That just has the potential to bring up some hurtful or painful memories in people's lives. But it also brings up special memories, doesn't it? Because I hope today you didn't think about the broken promises, but you thought about those that were kept. Because those are the ones that transform us. And I ask those questions because I really believe that promises are important, don't you? Promises are important, not just to make them randomly like a politician. Sorry if there's any politicians in there. But that we actually make those promises to real people for real situations because they need to be made. And promises can be incredibly motivating to people. It can be um, even more powerful when they're kept over the long haul, right? You look back and go, wow, 
I've kept that promise. Wow, that person has kept that promise. Even in some of the most difficult times that we've gone through together, that person has still been faithful in their promise. Well, God's promise to a man named Abraham in the Bible was very important to Abraham. We know that because God spoke to Abraham specifically to him about a promise. But it wasn't just important to Abraham, it was important to all of humanity. And it wouldn't just affect Abraham and his family and the people that lived around him in his culture and in his season or his history of life, but it would affect everybody more than we would really want to believe. Because that promise made to Abraham, that Abraham believed, by the way, when God says, you see all the stars in the sky? And back then when he said, look up in the sky, Abraham, there wasn't a bunch of artificial light blocking that out. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been in the mountains or somewhere where there's no artificial light and you look in the sky and you go, I had no idea there were that many stars. Because they're kind of blocked in our city life sometimes. But he says, your descendants will be like those stars up there, Abraham. And the interesting thing was is that Abraham would see that fulfilled and he wouldn't actually see Jesus be fulfilled. He would not ever actually see Jesus in his lifetime, but Abraham believed God and he did believe that God would give him a son and that son was Isaac, even when Isaac was 100 years old. Can you imagine being a dad at 100 years old? But he never saw what God was ultimately going to do in that promise of blessing. He said, all nations through your seed... Your seed will bless the entire world, Abraham. That was the promise he made to Abraham. But it happened because God kept his promise. And by faith, we embrace the life-changing and the life-giving reality of that promise that God made to Abraham. So we're continuing this sermon series that I call Big Deal, Small Deal, or No Deal. And making and keeping promises is a big deal. It's a real big deal. It's a big deal to God, and apparently it was a big deal to Paul. Paul had made a promise to God to present the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, to the Gentile people, people that were unlike him. People pretty much his whole life, he had kind of said, I'm better than them, I'm better than them, I'm better than them, because I keep the law, and they don't even know the law, and they don't keep it. But he had made a promise that he understood that God had called him through a specific revelation and struck him down blind one day and says, you are going to be my instrument to take the gospel message, the good news, to the Gentile people. And that's what Paul spent the rest of his life doing. And he did it consistently, and he did it passionately. So when he heard someone went behind him and taught these Galatian people, we're looking at the letter to the Galatians, something that was not the gospel, man, Peter was fired up about that. Now, why was he so fired up about that? Why? Because God's promise was based on faith, not on our ability or our inability to keep a bunch of rules and a set of laws. And Paul used to be the king of that scorekeeping life. And he says, I'll never go back to that again. And I'm going to make sure people hear the true gospel. So he writes this letter to the Galatian church to remind them of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that it brings freedom, not guilt, not shame, not looking around all the time going, I hope I'm doing enough for God to accept me. But no, I realize from the very beginning, God accepts me right where I am and takes me to where he wants me to be. That's the gospel message, freedom from the, save, the slavery and the consequences of the law. And he was not going to give up on that. He was going to tell them the truth. And anybody that tried to bring in the old law again and add things to what Jesus did, uh-uh, 
that was not going to happen on Paul's watch. So we're going to look at chapter 3 of Galatians, that letter again. And it's kind of long, but just listen carefully because Paul is this methodical lawyer. He is a Pharisee who knows the law, and he's trying to say, look, do you really want to go that direction where you've got to keep the law in order to work your way to heaven and get in God's graces? Or how about let's just rely on what Jesus did? And so he lays grace and the law right side by side and keeps comparing them. So in verse 15 is where we're going to start. And he says, Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in His grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believed. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now this faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Man, that's a lot, isn't it? I mean, he, he covers a lot. You're kind of like, what is he saying there? Because he's coming from a legal thing. He's coming and talking about um, inheritance and all those kind of things, and so let's unpack that a little bit this morning as Paul wanted these uh, Galatian Christians to understand and see what a big deal it was for them to grasp the freedom that they had through their faith in Christ. And so he shared what he called an example from everyday life, and he goes back. He goes, you want to talk about law? Believe me, I know about the law. I know the history. I know it forward and backwards. And he says, the famous Mosaic law was introduced by God to Moses 430 years after, he even knows the exact number of years when it was introduced. 430 years after God had promised to bless all peoples through Abraham and his seed. And he says, so when that law came, that didn't do away with that covenant he made 430 years before to Abraham. That promise he made didn't do away with it at all. Now, in Paul's big deal with the Galatians, he had worked so hard in presenting to this group of Gentiles that God's promise was not just for the Jewish people, but it was for everybody, for them as well, because throughout their life, they had had this impression that God was only for the Jewish people. 
But when Jesus came, that changed everything. And Paul told them that good news. No, now you're included. And you don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to practice Judaism. You just have to put your faith in what Christ did on the cross and his resurrection, and you're free. And when they heard that, they were like, that's awesome. I want to be a part of that. But somebody came in and tried to take that. No, you've got to add all this other stuff. And he was saying, no. They share in the promise of a new life, of eternal life, and it's through relationship, not religion. And we need to hear that same message today, don't we? Because there's still some of that out there. But someone had led them to believe that there was more work that needed to be done apart from what Jesus Christ had already done. And y'all do realize this is what separates Christianity from all the other faiths and religions of the world. Do you understand that? They tell you what you have to do. If you're Jewish, you always wonder, have I done enough? To get to heaven. If you're a Muslim, you have to wonder, did I do enough to get to heaven? If I'm a a Hindu, did I do enough? Did I do enough? But in Christ Jesus, it's been done. And all you have to do is accept that grace. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what sets it apart from all of the religions of the world. And so that lie was a big deal to Paul. So he carefully and methodically explains the truth of justification by faith. Don't believe that lie. He says you have to do all this other stuff. This involves faith and the already done work of Jesus Christ and a life lived through the power of the Holy Spirit that guides us daily. The law is now on your heart. In the decisions you make daily, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak truth into you and how to live. And Paul emphasizes that through faith in Christ and surrendering to Jesus, God gives us that Holy Spirit. Not through conforming one's life to the Mosaic law. Because guess what? Nobody could do that. And you realize the Pharisees came in in that century in which Jesus lived. And the Mosaic law, they added some 600 and something laws to that. Well, that's helpful. I was having trouble with the 10, (laughs) and you've added 600 and something. And all it did was say it made people feel guilty and shameful and never able to reach God. And Paul said that's not what God intended. And so Paul emphasizes through faith in Christ, surrendering to Jesus, and he gives us that Holy Spirit. And Paul goes on to make the point that the most important revelation from God, although it was very important, The revelation giving that Mosaic law to Moses, but more important was that, was 430 years previous and given that promise to Abraham that through him he would bless all peoples. And Paul talks about this in terms of a legal arrangement of covenants or of an inheritance. Don't raise your hand, but I'm sure some of us in this room or some of us in this room have known people who have gone to court over an inheritance. It happens, doesn't it? So Paul's kind of talking in terms of that. And he says, God's promise was really a covenant and nothing can be added or taken away from that covenant. In that first century, he's talking about the Roman laws and you can't take away or add anything to a covenant. Someone had led the Galatians to believe that they should read the old covenant scriptures through the eyes of Moses as interpreted by their priests and Pharisees of the day who had added all these extra laws. And Paul wants them to read the old covenant scriptures not through Moses, not through the priests and the Pharisees, but through the eyes of Abraham and says, you need to understand this is a promise for you too. Just like the father of all nations, Abraham. It was a promise to him. It was a promise to you. And the Mosaic law was introduced and it didn't do away with God's promise or God's covenant he made to Abraham. Rather, it served, and Paul uses this term, as a temporary guardian to move people to the place where they could receive 
the promise of God. You know what a guardian is? Anybody ever had a guardian? Maybe not. But in this first century, a lot of people had a guardian or a tutor that would come in and teach their kids. And at a certain point, they would walk away. But I tried to think about it as being at summer camp as a kid. What of y'all been at summer camp, right? And, and I can say church camp in the summer changed my life. I'm a preacher today because of not only how much fun I had at camp, but the people that spoke truth into my life and shared the gospel with me. It changed my life. So I'm a preacher today. But I remember uh, we went to this place called Indian Spring State Park in, in, I think it's Jackson, Georgia. And I remember we would sit up on this bank on the first night, and one of the leaders would come up and, and give us all the rules. Remember those days? All right, before we get started with camp, everybody's got to know the rules. And they start telling all these rules. And I remember we had Matt Farmer, who was this big, tall guy, and his finger looked like it was two fingers. It was so big, and he would just be pointing at you, and you were like, okay, better. But as he got going through the rules, I was going, I ain't even thought about that rule. I ain't even thought about breaking a rule, but now that you've brought it up, that sounds kind of fun. I mean, so it just got to be more and more, and I was like, that actually sounds kind of fun. I think we might could get away with that. But now that you've brought it to my attention, and that's kind of what Paul's saying, sometimes the law and all those laws can do. And I remember after a while, it just sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher up there. Want, 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 you know, all the rules, you know, don't go here. You can't be in the girls' cabin. You can't, uh, no panty raids, blah, 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 all this stuff. Okay. All right. But at some point, y'all, and I don't remember when it was because I was an idiot. I was slow to learn things. I remember one year, and I don't know if it was Matt or somebody else, but I remember as they were given the rules, and I was just kind of, here we go again, the rule day. All of a sudden, they said, Y'all need to understand, camp is not about these rules. These rules are for you because we want you to enjoy camp to the fullest and not miss any part of what we've planned for you all year for this day. We don't want anybody to miss out on that, and we don't want you to ruin it for anybody else. And all of a sudden, it kind of hit me like, wow, so there is a purpose in the rules. That's not the purpose of camp. But there are rules, and I think, I don't want to mess it up for anybody else. I don't want to mess it up for anybody else. These people have been planning this week for me and for all these kids all year. Yeah, I don't want to mess that up. And that's when it made me see, man, rules are important. They're for a purpose. And I think that's what Paul is saying to the people here, that God has rules and they're important. You can't keep them all, but they're to try to keep you online. They're a guardian for you. And the Mosaic Law had and has value and meaning and purpose. It was a guide for flawed humans like us to ultimately to point us to that we need a Savior in Christ. The law was good, but it was limited in its reach. It could not save the relationship we had between us and God. It couldn't be saved through the law, but it helped us see our sin. It helped us see our inability to keep the law and our inability to keep our part of the covenant. So in that inability, we could see, I need a Savior. Because I can't keep the law. I'm always going to break rules. I'm always going to mess up. He would help us see that the seed, the Savior would come through Jesus Christ. He was this promised Messiah. He was this seed that Abraham was promised that it would be uh, for restoration and salvation through our faith in Christ Jesus. So Abraham and Moses and all the prophets of Israel moved towards that promise of God through the law. The law was how they moved through it, but ultimately they were pointing to a better way, a better covenant, and that was in Jesus Christ and faith in Him. So Scott Haifman wrote this book called The God of Promise and the Life of Faith. And listen to what he says. This is interesting about promises and about God's call for us to obey 
the law and, and, and have obedience. Listen to what he says. Every command of God is built upon a promise from God. Every divine call to action or obedience is at the same time a divine summons to trust in God's promises. That means have faith. The promises of God are commands in disguise and vice versa. God commands what he commands because he promises. Because he promises. And after the exodus, when God took the Israelites out of Egypt, God promised Israel that it would rain bread from the sky, manna, every day except for the Sabbath. God therefore commanded Israel not to gather more than their daily ration except on Friday. God's promise was inseparably linked with a prohibition. Conversely, trust in God's promise would mean obedience to His commands. Disbelief always shows up as an act of disobedience since every promise carries with it a command. Every time we disobey God, it is because we are not trusting His promises. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Read that one again. Every time we disobey God, it is because we are not trusting His promises. Man, I say that to my kids all the time. You're disobeying me because you don't trust what I'm saying is true. I'm trying to help you out here. You ever said that lecture, you know? I said it really loudly on Saturday to a certain child of mine. But I'm trying to get them to say, listen, I do know something and I don't want you to get hurt. I want you to enjoy this. I want you to be able to do this the right way. And if you go off the rails. But think about it. Every time we disobey God is because we're not trusting in his promise. It started with Adam and Eve. You had this promise. One rule. Not 600. One. And they couldn't do it. Did did God really say that? Yeah, he really said that. Yeah, but do I really trust him on that? If I eat of that tree... Guess what? They didn't know good and evil before. They knew good, but did they know evil? But when they ate that, all of a sudden, they knew evil. And man, they really didn't want to know evil, did they? Because they found out. And that's what we do. We don't really trust God. I'm going, yeah, I know what God's word says on that. But this time, I think in this situation, because it's me, I'm not going to follow his rule. And sometimes we get away with it for a while, don't you? You think, see? See? No consequences? Yeah, see, I'm smarter than God. I got away with it, but sometimes it unravels and we realize, oh man, God was right. I didn't trust him. Paul is saying we move from the promise of Abraham through this guardian called the law to faith in Christ Jesus as our Savior because we need him. Before Jesus came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith and the promise revealed through Christ. I told you all I've been reading through the book of Leviticus and I'm telling you, you don't want to go back to the law. Any of y'all went hunting yesterday? If you killed a deer and you're in worship, according to the own law, you shouldn't even be here because you touched a dead animal. That's what the old law is. We don't want to go back to that kind of stuff. We were held prisoners. And now that Christ has come, the reality of the promise fulfilled, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Now we have faith in Jesus' saving grace, and now we're guided by the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like when you get your driver's license. Before you get your license, you get your learner's license. And somebody has to be in the car with you, driving with you. And a lot of us parents are hitting that fake brake pedal, you know, and grabbing the dash and going slow down, you know. And then finally you go for that day, and guess what? Mom or dad, the guardian, cannot be in the car with you. You have to take the test all by yourself. And then you give them the keys, and they drive off. And man, that's a moment, isn't it? We've all been there, either on either side of that. But you have to let, you can't be the guardian anymore. They have to start learning to drive by themselves. And so in Christ, 
Paul, I want to read those last verses again. Christ, so he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Through faith, the guardian's gone. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all one. All that other stuff, we bring, it brings us together. Yes, he's not saying there's not Jew or Gentile or male or female or slave or free, but in Christ we're all brought together. None of that matters. If you belong to Christ, he says, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And he's reminded them of the gospel he told them in the first place. You're heirs. You're heirs and you're not Jewish. You're heirs and you're, you know, you can be male or female. You can be slave or free. You're all heirs. Don't you understand that promise that God made to Abraham? He fulfilled it in Jesus Christ. Embrace it. Take it on you. Paul is reminding the Galatians and me and you today, we are all children of God through faith, not keeping the laws because we can't. So I played in this golf tournament a few years ago. And um, at the beginning of the uh, golf tournament, the big deal was is there was going to be a long drive champion that was coming to the golf tournament. You know what a long drive champion is? He's not necessarily a good golfer in keeping the score, but, man, he can hit it out of, the, out of sight. So they had this, uh, he did an exhibition before the tournament even started. So he got on the driving range and we all gathered around. And no lie, y'all, he was hitting the ball 400 yards easy, just as straight as an arrow. It was unbelievable. And then he did these little tricks, like he would throw the ball up and hit it with his driver like a baseball and hit it probably 200 yards. And we're like, oh, you know. And then this guy comes out and brings these sheets of plywood. And this dude hit the ball so hard it went through the plywood. You know, so we're in awe of this guy. So in these tournaments, if you've ever played like a, a, a scramble, and it's a, a four-person scramble, you have four people on your team, and so you all hit your drive, and whoever's drive is the best, you all walk to that drive and hit the next ball. Y'all probably played in those things, right? So, um, and, and you, you know, you, you did this the whole, but on, the rules were the same, except on the last par five of the 18 holes, you got to the par five, and guess who was standing there waiting on you? The long drive champion. He was there. And so your team could choose to have him hit your drive on this par five, which he would get it close enough to you could eagle it. You know, that's how good he was. So, of course, our team got up there. And, and I'm horrible. You know, I've been slicing 180 yards into the woods all day long. I'm like, please hit the ball for me. And our team all agreed, yeah, hit our drive. And he hit one just, you know, unbelievable. We were down. We could easily get on in two. I think we birdied the hole. But the team behind us, I understood, they were in the hunt for the win. And they were like, no, no, we don't want you to hit our drive. We're going to hit our own drive. We want to win this thing on our own. And I was like, seriously? I mean, they were good golfers, but guess what? Guess what hole they screwed up on? That's the hole. And they ended up losing by two strokes because they got a bogey on that hole. You see, they had the opportunity to have someone do it for them, but they were too proud. I'm doing, I'm doing it myself. And they missed out on the opportunity. And that's where we are sometimes, unfortunately. I'm like that. I'm trying to earn my way to God instead of just enjoying and relaxing in God's grace by the faith and freedom, enjoying and remembering that his life he gave was for a purpose to give me that freedom. He rose again to give me that freedom. And so at the end of chapter 3, Paul connects the Galatians' baptism through their faith to clothing themselves with Christ, putting Jesus on, wearing Jesus so that everybody can see in your life that you have Jesus. 
It's not just something you talk about. It's not just a place you go on Sunday. But Jesus actually lives through you. He says, I put on Christ. And he says this, and we read this a couple of weeks ago, if you remember. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, but I don't live anymore. But Christ, what? Lives in me. So you can say it with me. That's what Paul said. And Paul was so personal in that. He says, the life I, I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God. And listen to this. This is Paul getting very personal. Who loved me and gave himself for me. The lawyer, the Pharisee of Pharisees says, I realize even though I knew the law and practiced the law, I still needed God to love me and needed Jesus to give himself for me. Because I can't do it on my own. And Paul hammers home the point that anybody can have faith, whether you're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We are all one when we clothe ourselves with Christ. We are Abraham's seed because of what Jesus did. We are heirs of that incredible promise that God made to Abraham because of Jesus. And here's the big deal. You have to accept that promise and leave the guardian of the law to wear the clothes of Jesus, don't you? You hear that? You have to accept the promise. Let Jesus hit your drive for you. I promise it's going to be way much better when you face God in the judgment. Because God's going to say, yes, he accepted. He accepted the promise. He accepted that promise. So maybe there's somebody here today who needs to put on Jesus' clothes. And so we're going to offer that invitation. I'm going to ask the, our praise team to come on up and lead us. Maybe you're here today and you need to to do that. There's a there's a, a still in our world in our culture this idea that we have to earn it and we can't. We need to understand grace and Paul tells us that very clearly I think in this text today. So if you're here today and you need to make that decision to come and surrender your life to Jesus and accept what he did for you. He hit the perfect drive right in the middle of the fairway for you. And that doesn't that's not even fair to even put those two together. He died on a cross for you. He gave his life for you. And all we have to do is accept that. So if you need to do that day, we offer that invitation. Or if you're looking for a church home and we are not perfect, we know we're going to make mistakes, but we are committed to being those folks that God called us to be in accepting his grace. And if we accept that grace and embrace that grace, then that means we extend it to everybody. And that means everybody. So if you need that today, we're going to offer that invitation. But we're also going to prepare our hearts for a time of communion. If you're here for the first time, we take communion every Sunday. We believe in the New Testament. It teaches that. The early church did that. People for 2,000 years have been doing that. Other people all over the world today are taking communion together, and we're remembering that grace that saves us by taking communion. Jesus, your body on the cross is what saves me. Jesus, your blood on that cross is what saves me. And so we take communion. So we offer that invitation to anybody that's a believer here today, whether you're a member of our church or not, we offer that to you. So I'm going to ask you all to stand at this time. We're going to prepare our hearts. If you have a decision, I'll be here. And then later, we'll read some scripture and take communion together.